Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Achieving Christian Thought podcast. I'm your host, Brian. Hey, thanks for listening in. This is Robert. Hey, I'm Zach. Join us for each episode as we apply the gospel to dive into the inner workings of the Christian faith. Are you agnostic or atheist and want to understand Christianity better? Want to learn more about Jesus? Discuss the differences between the modern and early churches? or maybe explore some of the Bible's most interesting characters, then we hope you'll join us in Achieving Christian Thought. Okay, hi Zach, hi Robert, hope y'all have had a good week. It was yeah. glorious. Sure did. Uh, so, uh, last episode, we that was um, some pretty heavy stuff. We, we talked about Jesus, we talked about salvation, kind of the mechanisms of salvation, um, kind of talked about what that means, um, the profession of faith. Um, uh, Zach, I know you brought up salvation versus sanctification. Uh, that was, uh, that was very, um, was very heavy i think uh our listeners learned a lot about that um this week i think we were uh diving into some of the teachings of jesus kind of learning uh we learned about jesus as a man and also being god kind of the historical evidence of, of jesus then we learned about the act of salvation through jesus so now we'll learn a little bit more about his teachings uh, about the man himself and Robert, you introduced the the concept of parables um, at the end of uh, last week's episode. So, yep. um, yeah, let's uh, let's dive into some of the the teachings and, and ministry of Jesus. All right. So, so this episode is basically going to be gospel talk around the campfire. We're digging into some stories. I have the marshmallows, but not <laughs> really. I love it. And so. Uh, Basically, for those out there who don't really understand exactly what a parable is, uh, when I closed the previous episode, I actually made a point of saying it's for this time and not last time so that we could land the plane. But now to explain the real uh, meaning behind the term parable, back in Jesus' day, the rabbis would actually use these stories that would connect with people. They weren't big, lofty, pie-in-the-sky kind of uh, testimonials, you you do get those in the New Testament. I'm not saying they're worthless. I'm just saying they can be a little bit hard to grasp. So what happened was when the rabbis would talk about the Torah or the Talmud, their, their scriptures, they would actually try to bring them down to earth by using metaphors. Um, everything in the story represented something in what they were trying to say. Jesus took this model and actually started using it to preach what he was having to say. Because the rabbis were saying, Moses says, Jesus comes and says, I am he who was to come, and here are my parables. What's interesting is Jesus pre preaches it in the, this way for two reasons. Uh, the reason the rabbis did it, which was to help people understand the concepts he was trying to convey. And the second reason he actually says in the Gospels themselves, when they describe the teachings of Jesus, Jesus explains to his own apostles I'm teaching in these parables intentionally to make them harder to understand for those who don't want to understand. But for those who want to hear what I have to hear, who are willing to entertain the idea that I might be more than just a man, these parables are actually going to help to open up your understanding of the kingdom of God. Those who do not want to understand and those who want to shut, out, shut me out and try to shut me down literally just go against what god is doing in this town and in this in this place these parables are actually going to be a nuisance because it's going to prevent those people from understanding exactly what i want to say so that it, if i'm too clear they would have a charge against me too soon and i've got to linger as father for as long as my father wants me before i go so that's the whole mystery of his use of the parables and so you've heard of fables, uh, Aesop's fables, the tortoise and the hare. Those stories are things that have moral meaning. They have a point that they're trying to get to in order to teach children right from wrong. The parables were put in place to teach adults something spiritual through use of metaphors. And so what we're going to do is we're going to juggle between me and Zach. Uh, we each chose two parables. 
That's going to be four total for this episode, and we would love to do it again because Jesus taught many. But what we're going to do is I'm going to go first. I'm going to popcorn it over to Zach and back and forth. But I'm going to basically share a basic parable. We won't read it. We don't want to put people to sleep uh, when you read text over audio. That can sometimes happen. <laughs> we will <laughs> yeah. We'll summarize the parable from heart. Um, the way Jesus himself would have taught it, you know, he wasn't sitting there reading from a, t- a letter. He he looked people in the eye and said, once upon a time, there was a merchant, you know, etc. And we will kind of share our hearts about, you know, what he was saying through it and why it's important today. And I'm looking forward to that. So the first parable i'm going to go for it now there's some very well-known ones and i'm going to finish this episode with a very well-known one but i actually wanted to start with one that gets shoved to the b list or the c list a lot because it's very very short but it is so profound something that jesus shares in matthew 13 it's called the parable of the mustard seed those who plant you, you might have to google image search these but mustard seed which you put in the ground and grows into a mustard plant it's a huge, huge difference between itself in infancy and adulthood. What I'm saying is the mustard seed is one of, the, one of the tiniest, if not the tiniest seed we know in the plant world. You can barely see it when you look right at it. But it grows into an adult mustard plant that is so much larger than the seed was. And so what Jesus loved to do was when he tried to convey the idea of small, he would use mustard seed for these people because they were very familiar with it. This parable goes, once there was a mustard seed, it fell in the ground. Mustard seed grew into a great big old mustard plant, mustard tree. It said that it gave shade to those who enjoyed to come over and see it. And not only that, but birds would come down and they would actually make their nest in the branches of this tree, of this mustard plant. The end. And that's literally all Jesus says, but it already conveys so much and so little. What Jesus is saying is the mustard seed is like the kingdom of God. This is my message. This is a mustard seed growing up. What he says about that, when in hindsight we know what he meant, was this is... The story of a man who shows up in Israel teaching a a message that is really ruffling some feathers. He is homeless. He has no formal education. He doesn't have any distinctions. He's a peasant. He only has a certain number of followers. He doesn't leave any better than a, a certain number of miles from his own home in his lifetime. He never leaves his native land except for very brief trips to uh, lands uh, very close next door. He'll cross the line, only stay very close, and then come right back into his homeland. And yet this message, this gospel of Jesus of Nazareth, has spread all across the entire world in the last 2,000 years. And just the fact that we're still talking about him two millennia later is outstanding. And that's what he's saying about his mustard seed mission is 12 men in dusty sandals, walking down an Israeli street, speaking Aramaic during the Roman rule of the world. 2,000 years later, you have people um, in the first world who drive automobiles, who have witnessed rocket ships go into space, who understand electricity and just enough to turn lights on in their homes any time of day or night, speak multiple languages, are all talking about this same man and the same message that was carried by these peasants in sandals. So he's basically saying his father has blessed this message. It is something tiny and to the world's eyes, to history's eyes even, insignificant that has grown into something much greater. It's given shade to those who've been hankering in the sun, those who've been beat down the weariness and hot heat of this world the the tree gives them shade to relax in tree uh the the birds want a place to rest they can't fly forever they're not meant to it goes without saying but he's saying those birds they get the chance to put their nest in these branches get the chance to rest on the branches of this tree so it gives shelter it gives rest people flock to it in order to benefit from it 
So he's saying, even though the world isn't looking, because when Jesus said that, when he, when he was alive on earth, had a flesh and blood body, when those words were coming out of his mouth, nobody was looking at him in the, in the grand scheme of things. People were gathered around him, but they were all Jewish. The grand scheme of things, everybody had their eyes trained on Rome and Italy. Caesar was the center of the whole world. No longer. Caesar is long gone, but Christ reigns supreme now. He said when this message blows up to its fullness as far as the Father intends it to go, people will flock to it and benefit from it. And so now you turn on CNN or Fox News, and if something uh, crazy goes on in the world, many, many times it's in Jerusalem. It's in the city of Jesus. It's never necessarily in uh, Vatican uh, City or the city of Rome where the seat of power used to be. It all goes back to, uh, most of it all goes back to conflict in Jerusalem uh, in the Middle East. So the reason for that being just the, the sheer magnitude, the realization that this has grown as big as it has when it has no business doing so simple reason the simple fact that this man who had everything against him literally conquered rome by surrendering to it that's unheard of for me i find that as genuine evidence that this man was so much more than just another historical figure more than just another man walking among the streets and then passing his way when his life is done. And so this a very, very simple parable to start us off. It was Jesus making a promise to them. Is this message, even though it's tiny, even though it doesn't seem to be very effective in the long run, these Romans are prowling around. I know you are most concerned about them right now. They don't really give a flip about what I have to say. This is a promise that the God of the universe has enacted this little event in this little street, in this little corner of Israel. And this message is going to go above and beyond and other than you could ever imagine. Just be faithful, follow me, and leave the understanding to my father. So it's just this idea that it's grown and exploded so much. It, it continues to blow me away every time I reflect on it. But I read that passage and I just... I wanted to kind of share my heart on that. I know it was brief. It was intentionally brief because it was just a quick promise that he gave in parable form. Wow. All right. So parable that I'm going to cover today is the parable of the sower. Now, when we think of sower, we don't... Uh, one thing I want to be clear um, is... It's not someone working with fabric <laughs> because it, you know uh, sower is a uh, kind of like a, uh, a old school term I guess you could say a other way of saying it would be a planter uh, one of the things that uh, Jesus did a lot of times with his parables is you know as Robert mentioned he would take something you know complex and bring it down to anybody and everybody's level, and and that's the point of the the parable. He was talking about um, sort of like um, kind of like people's response to it, uh, and just kind of give you a little bit of background. Um, somebody who lived in those days and the times, they, it was a very um, agricultural um, place. Um, and so these people were really familiar with growing and planting things, which is why, you know, one of the reasons why Jesus talked about mustard seed, as Robert mentioned. Um, this was something, uh, uh, someone who goes out into a field and plants, uh, they, they scattered the seeds and, and things like that was something common that anybody and everybody, even if they didn't do it, they understood the process of it. And so people could relate that um so going into the parable um jesus talks about um a, a guy who's you know going out there with his little you know bag of seed and he takes a handful of it 
he scatters it. And what that basically means is kind of like he goes out to a field that's been plowed. And he throws out the seed into these areas that he's plowed and will basically yield, you know, a result. And, you know, the seeds, you know, as it's thrown about, it hits various places. Some of the seed that's cast out um, hits rocky ground. It starts to sprout then because the climate, you know, the sun comes out basically due to um, the roots not being very deep. um, The uh, plant wilts and dies. And then you have the idea that, um, you know, one of the seeds lands on rocky ground, well, not rocky ground, but um, on, on a path. The bird swoops down and plucks it, takes it, and eats it. Um, and then there's the idea that the seed falls on good soil and it yields a crop. Jesus. Um, mentions that another seed goes out, the last one goes out, and then it's choked by weeds. Whenever it goes out, the, the plant starts to grow, but then beside it and alongside of it, there's these weeds that pop up. Because these weeds pop up, it kind of steals the nutrients and it prevents the plant from growing. And Jesus finishes that teaching and... Um, this is one of the really cool instances in in um the in the scriptures because the disciples didn't get it. Like, hey, Jesus, explain this parable to us. They don't understand it. So here's one of those awesome opportunities where God takes the uh disciples explains the parable sometimes we don't always get that in this instance we got it and um he goes through each of the different um, soils so to speak each of the different seeds and how they res- uh, have different effects and kind of applies the spiritual aspects that he was trying to teach um people and the disciples um so he mentions First, you know, there's the the um, the rocky soil. Basically, what that means is like the it, the uh, plant starts and it produces a seedling. It has no depth, no root. So when trials and tribulations come, it caught you know like the the intense heat of the sun, it causes it to wither. That's kind of like explaining, like, okay, there's some people who are going to, well, let me back up, because the seed is um, Word of God. Jesus says, actually tells the disciples that when I say the seed, what I mean is Word of God is literally going out. It's going to have an effect on people. It's going to have one of four effects first one is like i said um it will start to yield a plant but then because there's no depth in the root there's no root the plant withers and dies based upon the persecution um then there's the idea of uh, the uh, seed the word of god that falls on the road or the path and it says that the bird there that comes and devours the seed before it has a chance to do anything is Satan. Satan literally coming along and devouring that seed before anybody could do anything. Next aspect that he covers, the next response, was um, the, uh, the one where the weeds choked out the, the response so here's someone who, you know, they heard the word of God, but the cares of the world, such as, you know, material things, you know, position, power, those things stifled and eventually squash 
the um, the word of God in that person's heart. And then the last one is the one that yields the crop, the one that increases 10, 20, 100 fold or whatever. I'm basically talking about someone who believes, you know, who hears the word of God, receives it, and they're willing to cultivate it and they believe it. And because they believe it, it yields a result of salvation. That's kind of like the picture that he was talking about in that. And it's and it's it's awesome because that parable, uh, one, it gets explained to us. So it's it's a it's an easy one um, that anybody can read it and then get the complete understanding of it. That Jesus intended to, um, so that you know there's no chance for misconceptions or anything like that. It doesn't mean like if you share the gospel with four people, that's going to be the responses. It just means that overall. When those, when you're out sharing the word of God, there will be various responses, and there'll be one of those four. Either, either they'll um, hear it, ignore it, they'll hear it, and they'll believe it for a little bit, but the cares of the world or persecution comes along, and it basically yields nothing. But then there's those who take it, and they believe it, and man, it just radically changes their life. All right, jumping into my next parable for this, uh, parable number three over, overall. I'm jumping into more of an actual story this time. I thought the seed would be a phenomenal way to start these out. This is our very first parable show. But uh, going into it, I'm actually going to be sharing a very famous parable from Luke 15 called the prodigal son. And some people don't really understand what prodigal means. And honestly, the word prodigal just means wasteful. Take everything good that God has given you and throw it away for all the wrong things. So the way the story goes is uh, Jesus is teaching, and um, he shares that once upon a time there were uh, two sons who worked for the same father on his farm. And back in that day, the way inheritance worked, because uh, the father would always have uh, his possessions saved up for when he passes away. And the firstborn would always get the biggest share. Firstborn was always the one lined up to truly be the heir of the father's place in the family name. And so one day the son comes, uh, one day one son comes, he says, uh, Father, no, you're not dead yet. Can I go ahead and have my share of the inheritance before you go? I want to go ahead and get it. And so basically, according to that culture, this son was slapping his father in the face and saying, I really love your stuff more than I love you. I'd much rather you just go ahead and die. But since I can't murder you. Just go ahead and give me my money and I'll go. He says that his father just went ahead and gave it to him. If that's what he loves, that's what he can have. And he gives his son his share of the inheritance money. He leaves the family, leaves his brother to keep uh, uh, helping his father while he goes off on his own. said he took his money and he went into a city. The reason they call him the prodigal son, the wasteful son, is he blew every penny that he was given. It was everything you could imagine. He basically, the ancient version of going to Las Vegas. He <laughs> saw uh, dancing women. Snake eyes. <laughs> snake eyes. Dancing women, gambling, uh, throwing it to the wind. And all of a sudden, this massive whirlwind of stupid activity, all of a sudden realizes that he has nothing left. And so he actually decides that in order to get by, he has to go and basically sell himself out as a slave to, uh, as a servant to somebody who uh, owns some pigs in a trowel. And he would actually watch after the pigs. And in exchange for that, the owner of the pigs would allow him to eat the pods that the pigs were eating. He was literally eating their food along with them. And so he literally hits rock bottom. One day he kind of looks at the pot he's about to eat and he thinks, you know what, it would be much better if I just went back to my father 
offered myself up as one of his slaves. He treats his slaves much better than uh, these people uh, than I am right now trying to eat the, the, the pod for this pig. Treats his own slaves much better than this man is treating me. I might as well go back home and since I've blown everything of mine that he had to give me, I might as well give myself over to slave labor. We gasp when we hear that now, but back then, slavery, we it's the same word in English, but the whole concept was different. You're basically giving yourself over, and instead of getting paid money, you were basically paying off debt. You were considered uh, the ownership of the person who took you, until such time as you paid that debt off. Now, slaves were usually much wealthier and better educated than what we would consider a slave by American standards when you look at our history. There was nothing racially charged about it. It was a different way to economically get yourself out from under debt. So he goes and rehearses his speech. He says, he says I'm going to go to my dad, and I'm going to say, Father, I have sinned. Not just against you, but I have a sin against God too. Throwing your love aside by blowing everything you've given me, I would much rather be your slave than to stay where I'm at. And so just please just take me as a slave. So he slowly makes his way towards home. And it says that as he was headed towards home, his father saw him from a distance and hugged him. The man, the boy, started to give his speech. He said, "Father, I've sinned against you." And the father cuts him off. He said, "No, no, no, don't even talk. I'm gonna throw a party for you because my son's come back." So he goes and gets his servants are all out on the farm, and he says, "My son's back. Let's put a robe on him. Let's put some new sandals on him. Let's clean him up. Let someone go and kill one of the the the, the fatted calves that are in my stock, and we're gonna cook it." We're going to have a massive feast tonight to celebrate the fact my son's back. So they dragged his son in and gave him a welcome he didn't deserve. Then the story goes to the other brother, the one who got left behind, the one who's been on this farm faithfully this whole time. Then you realize that he is actually bitter. He comes uh, into the house and realizes what's happening. He pulls his father aside and he asks, what in the world are you doing? I've been here this entire time. I didn't ask for the, your inheritance money. I was faithful. I stayed working for you. And never once have you offered to do a, uh, give a, throw a feast for me with my friends. The father just says, son, every minute that you stayed here after your brother was gone, every last bit of this stuff was under your nose. It was available to you the whole time. All you had to do is ask. If that's what you wanted, you could have asked and I would have given it to you. But you've got to understand, your brother didn't see the truth. Your brother was blind to his own greed and his own self-interest, but now he sees again. He's repented. He's come back home. This is the time to celebrate. But Jesus told this story to basically give the idea of two, uh, two different viewpoints of the grace of God in the church. And that's definitely true for all of us now. Some of us are the prodigal son. We have that testimony that we've wondered, that we have hit rock bottom and that we came and the father welcomed us back anyway. If you're that brother, you have no idea why the father even wanted to accept you back to begin with. You're blown away. Some of us are the other brother. We're the ones who've done all the right things, but deep down we're bitter when we see a grace work out so well for someone else because we've learned deep down in our hearts to look down on others, not being as committed to the faith as we are, to not being like us, looking like us, having the same background as us. If you're that brother, you're blown away too. It's not in a happy sense. You're blown away and you're mad at the world because you don't understand why it would be this way. Why would there be this unfairness to the kingdom that I have worked my tail off for years this guy just stumbles in and he gets a bigger party than me. Those are the people who've gone blind to who they really are on the inside. They've pat, patted themselves on the back for doing all the right things on the outside. Their hearts are far from their father. So Jesus was painting this picture was 
angels celebrate every time a new person comes into the fold, every time a new person puts their faith in Christ. So the father accepts this prodigal and is happy as can be because this person who is far from God blew up his reputation, has come back. Now, what's interesting is, is the father noticed him coming at a distance, so the father had been looking for him the whole time, and he ran towards the son. In that culture, it was actually very undignified for a man to run. They thought it looked too goofy for a man to be doing in public, so they would prefer to just walk at a steady pace. But this man, threw caution to the wind, didn't care how goofy he looked, and went running towards his son, hugged him, and embraced him. The problem was the prodigal son in the story, to reflect the real-life audience of Jesus, the prodigal son were each and every person who was coming to faith in him who had a reputation as a wicked sinner and an outcast. They were coming to faith and seeing the error of their ways, and all of heaven was celebrating. Other son, the son who had stayed, had worked with such bitterness. This son was the Pharisee. This was the religious leader who had done all the right things, learned all the right words, had uh, obeyed the Old Testament to a T as quickly and easily as he possibly could, as exactly and literally as he possibly could. Yet his heart was far from God because he had learned to gloat over the sins of others. So it was a, a point of comfort and hope for those who had strayed and wasted so many good things God had given them. At the same time, it was a warning to those who wanted to pat themselves on the back for being so obedient to God on the outside, but being so very wicked on the inside. God can see their hearts. And that applies to us today is we have these people in the church. We have these people who just don't understand why God would accept them. Then there are people who just don't understand why God would accept that other person over there. They're both, they both have to have their thinking straight. The person who doesn't think they deserve to be in church knows to know that nobody deserves it, and that they are welcome no matter what. The person who's blind to the celebration in heaven has got to understand that the gospel isn't to cater to them. The gospel is to reach out and rescue those who need it. The answer to who needs it is everybody, including yourself, as you sit there and judge. So that's the the message of the prodigal son. It's the story of two sons, but in a way, it could also be called the parable of gracious father. That boy blew everything that he, that his father had coming for him, yet. Even though he'd blown everything away, there was nothing left to give that son. Father still took him back and continued to burn more of his finances on the son by killing the calf, holding the celebration and giving up those uh, fine uh, robes and sandals for his son. Even though the son had already blown anything that was going to come to him, he was receiving things that were above and beyond what should have been given to him by the law. Yet the father was willing to do it. The father refused to turn the son away. That is the father of the Christian Bible. Amen. <laughs> okay, um, the next one that I'm going to cover is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And uh, there's a little bit before actual story there's a dial or there is a uh a discu- uh discussion between jesus and some lawmakers um and uh basically jesus they asked jesus a question um uh you know what you know, what is what is the greatest commandment or you know what is you know what does the bible teach you know so to speak and jesus said Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second command is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so in an attempt to justify himself, the the lawmaker asks the question, well, who's my brother? Excuse me, not brother. Who's my neighbor? Jesus begins a parable. He says that there was once a man 
walking along the road and bandits or uh, robbers come along and overpower him. They rob him, take all of his um, belongings, leaving him basically beaten and potentially just in very bad condition, um, near death, not quite there, but if he's left alone, he's surely going to die. And so as this guy is laying in the ditch, um, uh, a Levitical priest from afar walks, you know, is walking down the road when he sees this actual corpse. What he does is instead of seeing he can help or this or that or walk whatever, he walks around the body. Uh, uh, not even not even sure if the man's alive or not. He just totally avoids the situation. Totally avoids it, because um, and according to Le- Levitical law, um, it was kind of like what he was supposed to do. He wasn't supposed to touch corpses. Um, so he, in in a way, it was like Jesus was kind of like pointing out like this guy was doing what the Levitical law said. But but he didn't even know the condition of the guy, and the reality of Levitical law. It wasn't necessarily saying don't show compassion to each other, but the uh, the priest cared more about the fact that he could potentially pollute himself by touching this corpse, rather than realizing that he could be an aid of some someone and actually. Help them and and deal with his purity later. So the priest walks away, even the the guy alone, still in the ditch. And then there's another um, individual, um, and it's uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but he's uh, basically kind of like a lawmaker, and he also sees. Uh, the bo- uh, the uh, potential potential body on the side in the ditch, and he uh, also just like the the uh, priest before him sidesteps the body, walks away, makes sure he stays well away from it so that he doesn't get contaminated by it. Um, and the third person who comes along is a Samaritan. Um, and this. We we often just kind of gloss over this. The reality of uh, of it was in this day and time, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. Okay, so you had the Jewish people who stayed true to the Old Testament. Then you had these Samaritans, and the Samaritans were uh, also Jewish people. Who had intermarried with pagans. In other words, uh, they married people who weren't actual Jews. Jews. So you had the purebreds, the Jews, um, uh, you know, very. They were anti um, anti Samaritan and, and and vice versa. There was also hatred on the Samaritans' end. Um, so there was this racial hatred and dynamic in this situation. So this third guy, this Samaritan, sees this person. What does he do? He rushes over to this potential corpse and helps him. He he sees to his wounds, finds out that the guy is actually alive. He's not dead. He can help the guy, um, which is more than what the Jewish people could do. Um, and he he tends to the guy's wounds, and then he goes and puts the guy on his uh, animal, and takes him to an inn, and gives the innkeeper money, and says, "See to this man's needs, and whatever else he owes, I will come and I will pay later." And and Jesus, again, he's looking at Jewish men. Jewish men who hated Samaritans. It was uh, a mutual hatred on both ends. And yet Jesus chose to say that this Samaritan 
was the one that actually showed kindness and actually showed the love of his neighbor. And Jesus asked a question to the lawmaker, and he said, who was the one that showed compassion? And, and the lawmaker, he couldn't even say the Samaritan. He was so filled with wrath. He was so filled with anger that he said the one that showed mercy to his neighbor, the one who showed mercy to the man that was in the ditch. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. In other words, a Jewish man who uphold the traditions and all these things, well, that's not bad, missing the point of showing compassion. You need to show compassion. That is how you show that you love God, is that you show love to his people to these strangers that have no way of paying a debt back, things of that nature. And that was the, the catch-22, was you know, this hero was a Samaritan, and again, in that day, in that culture, the Jewish people did not go, get along with the Samaritans at all. So for Jesus to use, Jesus, a Jewish man, to use a Samaritan as the hero was a point that anybody, no matter where you come from, whoever, wherever, can show truly the love of God. Those are four really, really good parables, and I think that is, um, those are four great introductions to kind of the teachings of Jesus and kind of who he was um, as a teacher. Just for our listeners out there, if you want to read ahead and you want to read more of the parables, read them yourself, read some of the others, um, where can uh, our listeners go to really get them? I know um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And so you can find those there. And uh, there's still very many more parables. And I think uh, I agree with you guys. We definitely need to do some more parable episodes where we tackle some of the others because they are all just so good. And they're head scratchers. Like mm -hmm. if, you, if you don't really if, if you're not used to really picking apart um, that type of story and applying that thinking to to kind of a gospel-centric, um, looking at it from, from a Christ-like or, or God-like point of view. I mean, some of those you, you really have to stop and think about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that that's one of the things that I love about the parables is they're so rich. You can sit there and, and, and I mean, like, I can't tell you how many times as a new believer in the years following that, that I read the Good Samaritan parable, not even realizing the racial dynamic was there. You know, the conflict between the Samaritans and the Jews, that added a whole new level to that, to say, you know, I mean, like, like I mentioned, like the fact that Jesus used a Samaritan as a hero was like unheard of. Jesus, a Jew, Use the Samaritan who, like, they had no dealings. There's a lot of history between those two people, and they hate each other. And for Jesus to pick that guy, pick one of them to be the hero, was just radical. And it's also one thing I, I've noticed too is is once you understand the parables and kind of once you know what each of them mean how many times throughout the week or even throughout the day, um, if you think back to them, that you can kind of convict yourself of, oh, I was this figure in this parable, or I, I was this person um, here. And, and you, can, you can be convicted pretty hard uh, throughout the week, uh, just as you're kind of applying those uh, to your life. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can't tell you how many times you know, I'm driving down the road and <laughs> I've got change in my my uh, glove box, and and you know, I mean, obviously there's there's people out there manipulate. I'm not I'm not necessarily saying they're not, but how many times 
you know, could you be a blessing to someone or even figure out a way to be a blessing without, you know, condoning uh, a, a, a drunken lifestyle or what have you? How, how, how many times have I, have I drove past that? Just like the, um, it's like uh, the priest or, or whatever, you know. I mean, it, you're right. It's very convicting. And what I love about the parables also is compared to some other scriptures and some other topics, they're all equally important. They're all equally inspired. But parables being stories, it's kind of like the, the Jewish-inspired Grimm's fairy tales. It <laughs> makes them very, very flexible. I've heard of a lot of... Uh, Christian artists, and by artists I mean any kind of art you can think of, people who write novels, who who produce films, people who literally make music, which is what we usually think of as artists. These people, they uh, how many times have they been inspired by a particular parable, modernized all the concepts and made a movie out of it? Uh, it's just, it, it's such an easy way to take a step towards uh, a new culture, uh, the modern world, Translate a few things so that they could get the impact of it the same way the people did with uh, Zach's parable and the Samaritan shows up. I mean, somebody you would never expect and make everyone go, oh, no, wow, and just have that kind of dramatic effect. Because, I mean, it's the way we're wired. We, You can give us some instruction. You can give us a great lecture. We could enjoy it, but we'll forget a lot of it. We'd have to repeat the notes. We all love a good story. All oh, yeah. story. It's ingrained in us. It's interesting that every story is about good versus evil on the on the on the simplest level too. And you repeat these. There's kind of like a song that gets in you stuck in your head. You repeat them, even if you don't get every detail right. It's not long at all before someone could practically tell the story back to you from scratch. Just remember what happened. It's the way we're wired. And I mean, the genius of Jesus to have been able to step out and decide to do that rather than just giving us some more Mount Sinai-esque proclamations for books upon books. <laughs> it's just, of course, that kind of comes in play with Paul. But <laughs> that's how he was wired. But you know, it's Jesus pre-Calvary. Before he goes, this is, you know, as much as you need to understand Paul was there after the fact, kind of look back and interpret it. This is where Jesus was at, at, at in the moment, in the heat of the moment before his death. He just wanted people to grasp the kingdom in those small ways. So also so they would keep retelling it to themselves among the church so that when they do look back and understand what he came for and they get, and they know the full gospel now, those those stories will take on a whole new meaning after the fact. And that's why we still share them today not just because they're written down but because they preach the gospel once you get the full picture of jesus life mm -hmm. and i've always loved um i've always loved that saying of, about the the bible is um the bible and and the gospel is one of the few books that uh reads you back as you read it Mm -hmm. And every time, depending on your life situation, depending on what's going on, um, where you where you're at, uh, it's always something different is always going to jump out at you, whether um, it's reading a parable, whether it's reading any part of the Bible, you could really pick it up at any time and get get a new application out of it or. Uh, some some meaning that you you never noticed before. I mean, every single time it, it happens, and it seems to always it seems to always apply the perfect way just at that moment. It's good All stuff. Right. Yeah, uh, thank you guys. Um, I I really enjoy these parables and. Um, all the listeners out there, uh, like I said, definitely go read them for yourself. Uh, they're a fantastic read. Uh, definitely try to um, interpret uh, what you think that they mean. Um, uh, and uh, we'll definitely do other episodes uh, with more parables uh, coming up here in the near future. Um, Zach and Robert, definitely appreciate you guys uh, coming uh, this episode here. Uh, what do we want to do uh, for next episode? 
Um, I think uh, we'll continue with the parables for another episode or two, you know, and uh, go from there. And Excellent. just kind of give a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a break from our uh, teaching, uh, you know, our deep theology slash core doctrines of Christianity. That just that way people can kind of like stop and kind of like, oh, okay, so these guys aren't just going to talk about <laughs> crazy <laughs> abstract things all the time, which we will. At, and but I also after, after we give you a false sense of security. <laughs> <laughs> and also wanted to run this uh by you guys too to see what you think um i know the past couple of episodes we've kind of talked about getting plugged into the church like not only does christianity mean um accepting jesus uh, and putting your faith in jesus but also getting plugged into that church getting plugged mm -hmm. into that community of believers um someone who's never been in church before I know that can be a very daunting task. So what if we decided to take an episode, maybe we'll go through another couple of parables on the next episode, but then we start pivoting more towards uh, maybe devoting an episode to how to pick a church, uh, maybe briefly talk about some of the different denominations of different churches, like what do the Lutherans believe versus the Presbyterians versus you know, the Episcopalian, you know, Catholic, just all these. Like, why are there so many different ones? What do they believe? And, and how, do I, how do I get plugged in? And how do I pick one? Does that, that sound sounds like a good idea. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I yeah. love it. All right. So, all right. Well, uh, thanks again, guys. Uh, thank you to our listeners. Uh, we hope you tune in uh, next episode. Uh, we'll dive uh, deeper into some other uh, parables. So, uh, yeah, thank you all. Thank you.